right, the text for our sermon this morning is just a couple words of Jesus from Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. We read, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of our God, and we pray. Dear Lord, thank you for sending us your word this morning. Please enlighten us and encourage us and strengthen us in our faith this morning. Help us to rest in you, that we might be strengthened and equipped to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've got a fitness question for you this morning, and I don't think it's a super hard question. The question is, which of the following builds up your muscles more? Lifting weights or resting? Oh, man. Did you guys research this ahead of time or what? Like everyone's supposed to say, clearly weightlifting is what makes your muscles big and strong. But as some of you guys know, maybe from experience, what happens when you lift weights, what's really happening is actually your muscle fibers are getting damaged. Your muscle fibers are getting pulled apart and then inflammation is occurring. And that's the reason why you feel sore after a workout. And it's not until you rest that your body goes and repairs those muscle fibers and, and knits them back together and fuses them together so that you're bigger and stronger than you were before. So, like, don't avoid lifting weights completely. Don't avoid workouts completely and just sit and only rest because that's not good for your health. Lifting weights is good for you, but it's only good for you because of the rest that follows. If all you did was lift weights and you never had any rest, your body would be broken down and injured like in a matter of days. Rest is incredibly important for our physical bodies. But rest is also important in other ways too. Have you ever noticed that when you are well rested, uh, that mentally you're very efficient and productive at work or at school? Like you can get a lot done in not that many hours when you are dialed in and you're well rested and you're fresh and ready to go. And meanwhile, like if you're overworked and if you're overtired, you could work 20 more hours a week and you're slumped over your keyboard and the work is worse and it's way less productive. So rest is so important for your mental health and focus. It's also important emotionally. Have you ever noticed that uh, when you are very overtired, you're less in control of your emotions. Anybody that's ever had a child, uh, those first couple weeks where you just literally are not sleeping at all, you start to feel like a zombie and then you just start to feel like you're gonna burst into tears at any given moment and you don't even know why. It's, you get more emotional because you don't have enough rest. So rest is something that you need physically, mentally, emotionally. Rest is important for us in all kinds of ways. And yet what's ironic is our culture is kind of bad at rest, isn't it? I've talked about this in sermons before that in the ancient world, um, in the ancient world, you feel like people worked from dawn until dusk, just grinding it out, working as hard as they could just to survive. And then as civilization progressed and as technology advanced, for the first time, you had this incredible thing that only some wealthy people at first were able to enjoy. It was this blessing called leisure time, where you could just kind of pursue a hobby 
or think deeply about the world or whatever. So leisure time was kind of this new thing, especially in the times of the ancient Greeks. You started having philosophers and people who debated and talked about things because they actually had leisure time. But then, as civilization progressed more and as technology has improved more, by today, we have a, wor a world that is very automated, that is very efficient, a world where we can get things done and we can communicate so quickly and so easily. Uh, and people saw this coming. In the 1920s and 1930s, there were a couple of uh, prognosticators, I guess. There was one economist who said, by the year 2030, the average person is only gonna have to work 15 hours a week. Because we've made things so efficient and so productive, we'll be able to spend the rest of our time on leisure. Well, we're not to 2030 yet, but it hasn't really turned out that way, has it? I think what we've really done as human beings is we've taken all the progress, we've taken all the technology, the efficiency, the automation, the electric lights at night, the internet, the cell phones, and we've used all of it to just make ourselves work way more than we ever did before. Uh, a 40-hour work week is very much a thing of the past. In many jobs, you're not only expected to work nights and weekends and maybe on Labor Day, but you're also expected to even be on call and like be ready for a work text or an email pretty much any hour of any day. So we live in a culture where we basically never stop working. And I think we're less physically tired than people from previous generations because we're not slaving all day in the fields, but mentally our brains are kind of mush because we don't really have any time to sit and think and focus on anything. We use everything we get in life to do more and more work. So taking a step back, it's just kind of interesting to ask the question, why are we so obsessed with work? Why are we so obsessed with work? There's probably a variety of reasons, um, but one of them is a spiritual reason. So, you guys wanna learn some Latin this morning? I knew that you did, so. Way back in the day, back when people spoke Latin, and back when like Latin was the language of the educated world, this was the term that people came up with for this. This Latin phrase is opinio legis, meaning the opinion of the law. But what this really means is simply that there is a tendency hardwired into every human heart to define ourselves by what we do. So this opinio legis, this way of looking at the world through the focus of law and achievement and work, this is the reason that we constantly are comparing ourselves to everybody else. And then either we're feeling superior because of our better accomplishments or we're feeling inferior and ashamed that we don't measure up. This opinion of the law is the reason why we get jealous of people who we feel like have had blessings dumped into their lap and they haven't had to what? Work for them. Um, this opinion of the law is also the reason why we sometimes will talk down to people who are struggling in life as though every problem could be fixed if, if they would just simply work harder. And I could go on and on and on and li list so many ways that this mindset we have affects our life and how it shows up in our competitive, merit-based society. But what's really most important is how it shows up in our spirituality and how it shows up in our relationship with God. Because of the way that we are wired, 
we tend to naturally think that God wants good people. God wants faithful people. God wants the hard workers who are going to devote themselves to him. And because of this assumption about God, then pretty much any system of human religion takes the same basic form. What things do I have to do? What set of laws do I have to follow? What sacrifice am I supposed to offer? But we all, by nature, are very, very obsessed with our own good works. Because deep down, we want to prove to God, to the universe, to ourselves that we are one of the good people. We're one of the good workers. So, with all that in mind, maybe you can see that we're taking kind of a risk by doing a seven-week-long sermon series on how we should be using our time in this world. Right? Because the risk is that even in our spirituality, we are going to just naturally continue to define ourselves by what, we, by what we do. And we're going to define ourselves by how we spend our time. And so that as we work through these sermons, we're just going to become more and more obsessed with how well we're doing or how poorly we're doing. And we're either going to become very proud of our Christian time management or we're going to be very ashamed because of how much we're failing. So it's a risk to talk for this many weeks in a row about how to manage our time, knowing the hearts that we have. And that's why halfway through this series conveniently comes Labor Day and Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and a great time for us to think about all the different time we use for things. One of the things that's very most important is our time for rest. So our sermon text, which we read already, it's shocking when you hear it considering who it comes from. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the God that we are all internally wanting to please and wanting to impress with the things that we can do. And when God comes into the world, living in a human body, what does he say? He doesn't say, come to me and show me that you're worthy. He doesn't say, come to me and follow these rules. He doesn't say, come to me and offer me a sacrifice. He says, come to me, you who are already weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. What a beautiful and unexpected thing for the Son of God to say to us. But maybe it shouldn't be totally unexpected, because once we open up our Bibles, we see that God has been a great proponent of rest from the very beginning. We heard this in our first reading, that when God himself created the world, he did it in six days. I mean, he could have done it in one, but he did it in six days, and then he set aside an extra day for rest just to set the pattern. And then in the Old Testament, God gave his people a special day for rest. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is going to be a Sabbath day to the Lord. God wanted his people to have one day to press pause on their work, and to refresh specifically by thinking of him. That's because he knew that this is something people need. Then you get to Jesus' life. When God himself walks the earth in a human body, even though Jesus was only going to be here for 33 years, even though Jesus had a lot on his to-do list, as he went through his life of just 33 years, he placed all kinds of focus on rest. We heard that in our second reading today. Jesus is planning for breaks. He's setting.
side, quiet time and devotion time and prayer time, not just for his disciples, but for himself as well, because he knew that they needed it. God knows that rest is important. But there is one kind of rest that's kind of underneath everything else. There's one kind of rest that's the most important of all, and that, of course, is spiritual rest. This would be rest for our minds, rest for our hearts, rest that comes from knowing where we are situated and who we are. Knowing, knowing that we are right with God. Knowing that we are going to be in heaven one day. Knowing that God is with us and things are going to be okay. This is a kind of rest that many people strive their whole life to try to find. But in Jesus, that's a kind of rest that God has provided for us right now. Check out this quote from Hebrews 4. This is awesome how God connects that Old Testament Sabbath day now to Jesus. He says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. You see it? In Jesus, you can rest from your work. You can rest from guilt and pressure. You can rest from constantly trying to gain God's approval. Because through Jesus, you already have God's approval. See, our natural assumption, as we've said, is that God wants good people. God wants faithful people. God wants hard workers who devote themselves to him. But Jesus shows us that the opposite is true. God wants bad people. God wants unfaithful people. God wants spiritual slackers and spiritual procrastinators who will find anything else in the world they could possibly spend time on besides sitting down and spending time with God and serving him with their life. God wants sinners. That's what Jesus said again and again. He said, I'm a doctor. I've not come to heal the healthy but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And so it was for sinners like us that Jesus came and lived a totally perfect, sin-free life. And it was for sinners like us that Jesus used all of his time perfectly to replace our horrendous spiritual time management. And it was for sinners like us that Jesus shed his own blood on the cross to pay God's penalty for sin and to win for us eternal life in heaven. But what that means for you now is you don't have to do a single thing more to gain God's approval and prove that you are one of the good people because in Jesus, your Savior, you have already been made perfect. You already have God's approval. Your Savior has made you right with God. So Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Even if you're tired physically, you're drinking coffee, it's not waking you up. Even if you're tired emotionally, you've got a ton of stuff going on in your life. Even if you're tired mentally, all of your things can't stop racing for your head, through your head. You have spiritual rest. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. You don't have to worry about if you're good enough for God. You don't have to spend an entire life defining yourself by the things you do or don't do because your worth, your identity, your value, it has already been established. 
by the price Jesus paid with his own blood when he died for you on the cross. So spiritual rest feels good, doesn't it? And God knows that we need it. So I don't know if any of you guys like to run. Uh, And if you do, maybe you make the same errors that I sometimes do. So last week I decided to go for a run on the Beltline. And it was the South Beltline, the part that's still gravel, and it's not all built up yet. So I've made this mistake before. But you keep running, and you're like, oh, they developed this new part. Like, now this part is paved. I wonder what's around that corner. I wonder what's over that hill. And so I I went running. This is about a week and a half ago. And I went kind of far. And because it was the Beltline and I live over here, I had to just come all the way back. So the first half of it, I was feeling good. At the turn, I was feeling tired. Halfway home, I was really feeling tired. And by the time I was getting close to my house, it was literally where I could hardly keep running and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I was just absolutely exhausted. Uh, I, was, I was in some pain, some workout pain. My muscle fibers were definitely getting challenged, right? But then I got home, and I walked up the huge hill that I live at the top of, and I sat down in the porch swing. And I don't think any porch swing in the world has ever felt so good, right, as that swing when you're so exhausted that you can't take another step. And then when my legs had recovered a little bit, I walked inside, and I got a bottle of Gabby and Elijah. What's the good stuff from the fridge? Gatorade, because I hid one that you guys hadn't drank already. I drank a bottle of Gatorade, And I will tell you, after this long, long run in the hot sun, like there's nothing that hits your mouth that is so refreshing as as Gatorade. Rest and refreshment when you are tired feels so incredibly good. And spiritually speaking, this is what it's like when you bump into Jesus. Not just for the first time that you ever connect with Jesus, but every single time, over and over, when you keep reconnecting with Jesus, he reminds you he has rescued you from guilt and pressure. He's covered up your flawed life with his perfect life. He has saved you by his grace. He has given you spiritual rest. Connecting with Jesus in his word, the way he talks to us, the way he wants us to understand him, It is a load off of our shoulders. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened by all of the things, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. So what then do you do with your rest? Well, it's the same thing you do after Labor Day is over. Ideally, if you got a work day off, which you're supposed to with the original intention of Labor Day, the idea is now that you're rested, you go back to work, but with a different perspective, refreshed and rejuvenated. And this is what Jesus does for us every single time he sends us out from church. Back to our week, back to our life, we go out with his gospel and his grace feeling refreshed. We don't have to compete with people. We don't have to define ourselves by the things that we do. We don't have to work under guilt and pressure. But we can do our work for God in this world out of freedom and out of joy. Church burnout is a real thing. It it is possible. Uh, In fact, it's even common for pastors and church members to pour so much time and energy and effort into their church life that they become exhausted. As a matter of fact, in our neighborhood here, as I talk to local people, I talk to tons of people 
who have had this precise experience. They got so burned out from all the work that they had to do, they associated church with working and working and working, and it burned them out so much that they don't want to come back to church, maybe ever again. But that's a sad thing, because this is not what churches are supposed to be doing, and this is not what Bible Christianity is supposed to be. Christianity, as Jesus designed it, is not a religion that will take, take, take from you until you have nothing left to give and you're exhausted. Christianity, as Jesus designed it, is actually the opposite. It is a religion that will give, give, give to you, fueling you up every day like you need to be fueled with the free forgiveness, with the grace of Jesus, with the pressure being lifted off so that you are refueled and recharged and relaxed and refreshed to go out and work for God and live for him with more freedom and lightness and joy and peace in your heart than you have ever had before. And it all comes through Jesus, the one who came to earth and did all the work for us so that now and so that eternally we may have spiritual rest. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior, and your source of everlasting rest. Amen.